Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 199. I'm your host, Jim Hawk, and in this session, we'll pick up on 1 Kings chapter 12. So unless you're driving, uh, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. As just a review from the last session, 1 Kings 1 through 11 dealt with the life and ministry of Solomon. And we see that he fell into permitting idolatry. And by the end of his life, he actually uh, cooperated with idolatry through all of the uh, wives that he had married who worshipped other quote-unquote gods. And because of that, um, God said, okay, I'm going to take 10 tribes away from you after you die. Um, but I promised your father, David, that his line would be forever. And so two tribes are going to get to stay with your, your family. But everything else is, is going to be lost after you, uh, after you die. And of course, the 10 tribes become the nation of Israel. The two tribes that will remain in David's line are uh, the tribes uh, uh, will become uh, the nation of Judah, J-U-D-A-H. Okay, so uh, we're up to date now, and now we'll begin with chapter 12, and I'm going to just coat, I'm going to paint the rest of 1 Kings with a very broad brush because there's a common theme. You can read about all of these kings uh, on your own. I actually spent one year just studying from chapter 12 to the end of Second uh, Kings. That was one whole year of, of classroom study. And But I'm always looking for, so what's in it for me? What is the message for me? What can I do with this information? I'm not interested in history for history's sake. I'm interested in history only insofar as it teaches me something about God or my relationship with God or something to watch out for. So that's what we're going to, um, what we're going to be about for the rest of First and Second Kings. Okay, so uh, we. Uh, Solomon's son is named Rehoboam, and he ends up taking the, the two southern uh, kingdoms because there is a revolt by the ten northern kingdoms. Rehoboam continues his practice of very high taxes and forced labor and that sort of thing. And so the ten northern tribes say, hey, not going to do that. And so there's a guy with a somewhat similar name, Jeroboam, who was previously a servant of, of Solomon's, who sets himself up as the northern king, okay? And so the first thing he does in chapter 12, this Jeroboam, he says, hey, uh, everybody is supposed to go to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, which is in the south, that is to say Judah, to worship. You know, they've got these three feasts every year. And um, so I think I want to stay away from that. So I think what I will do is I will set up two temples in the north, in my area, and tell people, hey, 
you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can worship right here in our two temples. Well, first of all, the, the temple in Jerusalem was supposed to be the only temple, right? That's thing number one. And thing number two, what does he do? He puts uh, one in the north and the one in the south of his still kingdom of the 10 tribes. And he puts golden calves uh, uh, and says you in each of those places and says in chapter 12, verse 28, uh, he says, you have been going up to Jerusalem long enough. Here is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So he's got these golden calves. Verse 30, not surprisingly, this led to sin because the people frequented these calves in Bethel and in Dan. Those are the two cities where he set those up in his territory. It says, he also built temples on the high places and made priests from among the people who were not Levites. So he, he violated uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. Um, you might want to you might want to underline verse 31 and in your margins write violates numbers chapter 3 verse 10. So he says, you know, I'm going to make it easier for you to worship, but he actually violated the Lord's command as to where the one temple should be. So, you know, he's going to make like his own little denomination if you will. And uh, so now he's so he he's done this, and uh, when it when it says he built temples in the high places, that was typically a pagan uh, type uh, maneuver for their own their own gods. Okay, now we are going to see uh, alternating descriptions of the kings that end up serving uh, the north, which is Israel and the kings which are uh, over the south, which is, is Judah. And I can, I'll just summarize it this way. All of the kings of the north, every one of them, until, until that nation is, uh, is annihilated, or I should say just destroyed, uh, doesn't exist anymore. All of those kings are bad. They all at least permit idol worship some more than others, but they all at least permit idol worship, worship of idols, I should say. They all uh, permit the temples to the idol worship to be, uh, uh, you know, to be there, all right? Um, but anyway, so all of the kings of the north are bad, at least in the sense that they permit this idol worship. Um, some are worse than others. So maybe the worst one is, uh, in the north at least, is Ahab. We get to a description of him in chapter 16. And uh, it says in chapter 16, verse 31, it was not enough for him to imitate the sins of Jeroboam, uh, that was the first king of the northern tribes. Um, he even married Jezebel. Now, there's a name that you will hear again and again. Daughter, well, anyway. Um, and so she is a pagan. 
And it says, he went over to the veneration and worship of Baal. So he didn't just permit it, but he fell into it. You know, he's he's into it overall. And Jezebel, you know, she doesn't even like the, she's not even syncretic. In other words, some of these kings said, okay, there's, there's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's cool. But then there's also these foreign gods, and if you want to worship them, that's okay. And maybe we'll even build temples to them, if, if you like. Well, Jezebel goes one step further. She's a pagan. She has no use. She, has, she has, doesn't want uh, any kind of worship of uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So it says that Abraham, Ahab, verse 32, erected an altar to Baal um, in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and also made a sacred pole, which is kind of a phallic symbol there. Uh, it says, he did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. So now we're going to be introduced in chapter 17 to Elijah, the prophet. God speaks in in First and Second Kings through uh, through prophets, not through kings. Okay, so Elijah is the first great prophet, and um, so Elijah. What makes him great? Well, he stands up to Ahab and to uh, Jezebel, and he says. Um, uh, he says, "You know what? As long as, uh, as long as uh, uh, during the years there shall be no dew or rain except at my word." This is in verse one of chapter seventeen. If you're following along, so uh, this was probably not a popular proclamation for uh, uh, you know for Ahab to hear. So the Lord said, hey, you, you got to get out of here, okay? Just just get out of here, and uh, uh, and so I'll, I'll direct you. So uh, God provides for him, verse 6, ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Okay, but the brook runs dry where, where uh, Elijah was kind of camping out. No rain had fallen. Elijah had promised that, right? And so um, the Lord said to him, move on to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have designated a widow there to provide for you. I want you to underline chapter 17, verse 9, which makes reference to the widow of Zarephath. You recall hearing about that before? Well, I hope so. If, whether you have or you haven't, in your margins, after you've underlined verse 9, I want you to write Luke chapter 4, verse 26 in your margins. And Jesus refers to this widow of Zarephath, and, and, he's, and we, will, we find that she provides for, um, for Elijah even though she has virtually nothing for herself, she recognizes that he is, uh, she ultimately recognizes that he is a, a man of God, but uh, maybe she didn't know it right then. And um, 
she feeds him. She gives him uh, what little food is available, even though she feels like she's going to uh, starve to death. And Elijah tells her in verse 13 of chapter 17, um, make something for me and then make something for yourself. Uh, for the Lord, this is in verse 14, for the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the church. So God's going to provide for her. And she trusts Elijah and she does what he says, even though she has nothing left, right? So she provides, she's a good woman. And uh, God did provide, there would be enough. Now, why did I have you write Luke chapter 4, verse 26 in here? Because her being good to Elijah caused her to go from near starvation to having enough to eat for uh, a year, right? And so in Jesus talking about her, uh, he's, he's saying, um, you know, I blessed her, and the widow of Zarephath was not a Jew, okay? She was a Gentile. And Jesus says, and she was blessed because she took care of one of my own. And that upset the Jews very, very much, and they wanted Jesus dead because they thought that all blessings should go just to those who had Jewish blood in them, okay? So Jesus thought it was enough uh, to mention this, uh, this widow and the idea that if you take care of one of God's, one of the least of your brothers, if you will, or if you take care of other people, that you will be blessed for that. Now, maybe you won't be blessed with food for a year, but there is a blessing involved. Okay, so um, also we see later on in the story, Elijah... Uh, her her son dies, and yet Elijah brings the life breath back into the into that child's body. So uh, Elijah actually uh, raises someone from from the dead, if if you will. So uh, Elijah is great. Now, um, chapter eighteen. Uh, we've got this, you know, we've got this uh, problem with no no rain in the territory. And uh, the Lord spoke to Elijah at the beginning of chapter 18 and says, Go present yourself to Ahab, that's that king that uh, Elijah is supposed to be the prophet of. Go present yourself to Ahab that I may send rain to the earth. And we're told that the famine is still going on in verse 3 of chapter 18. So, uh, but Ahab, you know, he's got this idea. He's got these 450 prophets of Baal, you know, this fake God that, that he believes in. And uh, so there's, there's this great confrontation here between Elijah and the prophets of Baal quite a great story here in chapter 18. I really, really recommend that you read it. But I want to highlight certain aspects of it. Um, Elijah, verse 21, I want you to underline this verse, chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah appealed to all the people and said, 
How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Okay, so there's this controversy. Who do we follow? Do we follow God or do we follow Baal? And the same controversy exists in our own society, right? Do you want to follow God or do you want to follow the world's teaching, which is radically different? You know, abortion on demand and same-sex marriage and all kinds of things like that. Okay, um, so the people did not answer him. So Elijah said to the people, I'm the only surviving prophet of the Lord, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. And he basically says, okay, you prophets of Baal, take one young bull. I'll take another young bull. Um, we'll each uh, cut it into pieces, place it on wood, but neither of us is going to start a fire. And uh, you call on your gods, I'll call on my God, and the one who answers with fire is God. And all the people answered, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, we'll, we'll agree to that. Let's see who's the winner there. So the 450 of them, uh, of the prophets of Baal, they, you know, they're, they're trying to make it happen and they're praying to Baal and nothing's happened, nothing's happened. So Elijah taunts them in verse 27. He says, call louder for he's a God, small g, and maybe meditating, or maybe he's retired, or maybe he's on a journey, maybe he's asleep. And so they called louder, and, you know, um, and so there, uh, nothing happens. Then Elijah says, come to me. Now, he's, he's quite the showman. He's, he sets up the same deal. He, he cuts up the young bull and lays it on the, on the wood, not enough there. He says, uh, fill four jars with water. This is in verse 34 of chapter 18. Pour it over the, you know, the bull and over the wood. And he does it three times. So, you know, if it's not going to, it's, it's not going to start, right? Because it's covered with water and there's, there's uh, been no, no fire for there. Well, anyway, we're told in verse 38, the Lord's fire came down, consumed the holocaust, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it lapped up the water in the trench. So it dried up the water in the trench. Seeing that, all the people fell prostrate and said, prostrate, I should say, and said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. They were seized and Elijah had brought them down to the brook and therefore, this is kind of ugly, uh, he slit their throats. I mean, hey, the Bible tells the story warts and all. It doesn't say that God told him to slit the throats of 450 guys. It just said that that's, that's what he did. But at the point that he made in, very, in a very dramatic way is that, uh, you know, God is powerful and this Baal is, is nothing. Um, so... Um, anyway, so that said, we're on to chapter 19. Now you can imagine Ahab, who was a follower of Baal, has just been really embarrassed. So um, he and, and Elijah both leave that area and they go to, to another town, Jez, Jezreel. 
where um, you know it's apparently a, a place of government there. So they get there, and that's where Jezebel is. And Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and that Elijah had put all of the prophets of Baal to the sword. So Jezebel says, well, I'm going to get that Elijah. So needless to say, Elijah's got to leave town. Now, Elijah had his greatest moment in chapter 18, right? I mean, he showed the whole nation, my God, your God, is real and can do real things. And this fake God, Baal, can do nothing, right? So he's just had his greatest triumph. And yet... No good deed goes unpunished, right? Perhaps you found that way, found that in your your own life. And so he's got to flee for his life. We're in chapter 19, verse uh, 3. And um, he goes out in the desert. And there's nothing out there. And he prays for death. Have you ever prayed for death? Uh, I had a kidney stone one time and the pain was so excruciating. I actually said, God, just kill me. And, and I meant it. Um, I passed out. The pain was so great. Um, anyway, uh, needless to say, God didn't kill me. And he didn't answer uh, Elijah's prayer the way that Elijah asked. So be glad when you pray sometimes and God doesn't answer your prayers the way you, you want. So, but uh, Elijah's thinking, I'm the only one left that really believed. All the other prophets are, are, are dead. He, he feels all alone, right? Um, and the Lord provides food for him in, in verse 6. And uh, then he walks 40 days and 40 nights to the mount of, mountain of God Horeb, which is Sinai. Now, who else do you know that... Uh, uh, is associated with 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Horeb or uh, called another place Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain. Well, it's Moses, right? So we, we're going to see some parallels between Elijah and Moses. Both of them confronted the powers that be and spoke to power, right? Both of them had to run away. Both of them um, spent some time on the holy mountain, Horeb, Sinai, the, the same thing. So, uh, by the way, he's, he walked about 200 miles. Um, another uh, idea, another comparison, you know, between Elijah and Moses, they both worked miracles, right? They, they both brought uh, bread. Um, Moses, of course, to everyone with the manna, and Elijah to this uh, widow of Zarephath. Uh, she's going to have bread, bread for a year. Uh, one other, uh, one other comparison that we can make between Elijah and Moses, or one one similarity that you may recall, who is with Jesus. On, uh, at the transfiguration that we studied in uh, the Gospels. Who is with Jesus at the transfiguration? Well, there's two people. And as you might guess by now, since I've just given you a little hint, those two people are Elijah and Moses. Elijah represents the prophets, and Moses represents the law. 
and Jesus is, of course, with them, and he shines extra bright. So Jesus is above the prophets, and he's above the, the you know, the uh, transmitter of, of the law there, okay? And by the way, our Jewish friends to this day, when they, when they uh, have their Passover Seder, they leave a place, you can check this out with, uh, with practicing Jews, um, they leave a place at the table for Elijah in case he returns because they're looking for their Messiah. We, of course, recognize that the Messiah has already come. Okay. And um, so that is, uh, so he walks 40 nights to the mountain and he, he complains, you know, he, uh, not complains maybe, but he mentions to the Lord in, in verse 11, he says, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. That meaning, meaning uh, Ahab and of course uh, Jez, Jezebel. And uh, the Lord says what? Uh, Go outside and stand on the mountain. That'd be Mount Horeb before the Lord. The Lord will be passing by. So Elijah's looking for the Lord. He looks for him in the wind. The wind comes. The Lord's not in the wind. He looks for him in an earthquake. The Lord's not in the earthquake. He looks for him in the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, I'm, I want you to underline this in verse the last part of uh, verse 12 of 1 Kings chapter 19. After the fire, there was a, if you have the weak NAB, it'll say tiny whispering sound. A better translation, and you've heard me say a better translation at least 50 times so far in our studies. So instead of tiny whispering sound, it says a still small voice. So we all have to listen for that still small voice within us. And... Hopefully that is the Holy Spirit talking to us because we believe the Holy Spirit lives inside us and guides us in our uh, quest to follow the Lord. So we all have a still small voice. Uh, we need to listen to it. The still small voice of the Holy Spirit. So I wanted you to uh, underline um uh, the tiny whispering sound in, in verse 12, or write still small voice. Um, when he heard this, Elijah hid his face in the cloak and went to the, and stood at the entrance of the cave. Um, and uh, a voice said to him, Elijah, why are you here? In verse 14, I've been most zealous for the Lord, but the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the sword. I alone am left. As he says this again, and they seek to take my life. Sometimes you're going to feel all alone in your faith. People, maybe even in your family, will ridicule you for your faith, friends, etc. You know, they think you're, you're a little off, or, you know, they think you're just superstitious or something. But the Lord shows him that, uh, um, he says, Verse 18, the Lord says, I will leave 7,000 men in Israel, all those who have not knelt to Baal or kissed him. So um, the Lord's basically telling Elijah, hey, you are not alone. 
there are at least 7,000 men in Israel that believe as you do. You know, maybe they're not as vocal about it, but they, they are. So keep that in mind. You alone, you are not alone. You, uh, you may feel like you're alone in your faith, but there will always be a remnant of people who will believe as you do. So when you see scandals in Christianity, scandals in the Catholic Church, when, when you see the government trying to take away your religious rights and all that, and you feel all alone, just know that's how Elijah felt. But God wants to reassure, wanted to reassure him, and he wants to reassure us, we are not alone. There will be others that feel as we do. And it's our job to strengthen them, and it's their job to strengthen you. Um, and now we're about out of time, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you for the Elijahs of the world who will speak truth to power, and who will not just meekly take whatever a government dictates, if it includes the lack of religious freedom. So help us to be Elijah's to our own generation, um, whether it's a government or be an Elijah to our family members, to speak truth to power and to not be ashamed. And also help us to not feel alone in our efforts. We know that um, there are other Catholics, other Christians that feel as we do. And you will always uh, provide a remnant of your people, and we thank you for that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.